0: Welcome to Profit First Nation, the official podcast for entrepreneurs who are operating their businesses in the zone of permanent profitability. I'm Mike Michalowicz, the author of Profit First, and now here's your Profit First Nation guide, Daniel Mulvey.
1: Profit First Nation is the podcast for intelligent entrepreneurs who have taken ownership of their financials and leverage Profit First as a cash management system to make their businesses permanently profitable. I am Danielle Mulvey, an expert at guiding entrepreneurs on owning their financials in as little as 11 minutes per day. If you are a fan of Profit First and its author, Mike Michalowicz, you have found your tribe. We are a nation of successful entrepreneurs driven to be permanently profitable. With a grit and a growth mindset, That lets no obstacle stand in our way in pursuit of the three Ps passion, profit, and play. On Profit First Nation, we dive into advanced Profit First strategies and we share the honest and authentic ups and downs of being a business owner. Most episodes of the podcast also feature segments from the world's most prolific author on entrepreneurship the author of Profit First, The Pumpkin Plan, Surge, Toilet Paper Entrepreneur, Clockwork and his newest book Fix This Next Mike McCallowitz. This is our inception episode. So let me start by asking you if you keep a big vat of coins at home. For some of us, hoarding coins may be in our DNA. I get my coin hoarding from my grandmother. If you never see a bicentennial quarter ever again, that is my grandmother's fault. Every time she would get change at the store, she sifted and sorted through the quarters and literally hoarded all of the Bicentennial quarters she could source. She had heavy tubs, boxes, empty water jugs full of Bicentennial quarters. So as early as I can remember, I started accumulating change in empty soup cans when I was a kid. And then as a waitress in high school and college, all of my change goes into large plastic fishbowls. I guess I just do it because I saw my grandmother and my dad do it growing up. In 2003, five years into my wildly successful advertising agency, the Maverick Group, my personal cash liquidity is what is sitting in my house in the form of clear plastic tubs of coins. I am living off crap food, like the nasty dollar menus at Wendy's because I can pay for it with change. It is all I have in terms of cash on hand. It's okay. You can gulp with me. Here's some more background. I own a townhouse and a commercial building for the Maverick Group. I have 401ks and IRAs. The economy is doing well, and we are turning down new clients because I am working seven days a week, 14 hour days, and I want to be a cool boss, so my team, they work flex hours and no overtime. Okay, this girl is making no sense. She says things are great in business, but she's eating dollar bacon cheeseburgers from Wendy's dollar menu for lunch and dinner? Well, it gets a little crazier. My 2002 taxes make me feel really successful. I file with taxable earnings of over a quarter million dollars. I am 30 years old with significant taxable income, a townhouse and commercial property. Myself and the Maverick Group glow with accolades and articles about us abound. But personally, I am surviving on what is in my change bins, where a big splurge is on a KFC chicken pot pie. Ugh. This confession makes me the poster child for the majority of entrepreneurs, the 83% of small businesses who operate check to check, according to US Bank's small business study and report. That means, statistically, for every 10 of us entrepreneurs listening to this podcast, eight of you are operating your businesses check to check. When a client pays you, that money is gone in a flash. And while you stay current on your business expenses, you also likely don't have enough money left to pay your company's most important and most valuable employee, you. That's where I am in this story. I'm living off my change bins because I had to pay a chunk of change to the IRS based on my taxable earnings of more than a quarter million dollars. So if my taxable earnings are more than a quarter of a million dollars, and I own a townhome and commercial building, what the heck is the problem? Um, I owned a lot of things, but I didn't own the most important part of my business. I did not own my financials. I started my business having never, ever taken an accounting class. Income statement, balance sheet, cash flow projections. As long as I had people I pay very well, I assume that they take care of this accounting and financial stuff for me. And I assume if things are not going well, well, it's their job and responsibility to tell me because I'm too busy working in my business and working with our clients on deliverables. This accounting stuff is for accountants to own, right? Um, wrong. I was spending the spring of 2003 living on spare change because I did not set aside money to pay the additional money I owed in taxes on my quarter of a million dollars plus in earnings for the year prior. I'm not paying myself consistently, so that does not really help the situation either. The Maverick Group is five years old, and because I do not own my financials of the company I own, I have no cash accumulated to correlate to the profitability of the Maverick Group. It gets worse. I blame our CPA and find a new CPA. The new CPA says, the Maverick Group is awesome, and the blame should go to our full-time bookkeeper, our unqualified bookkeeper, who called herself a bookkeeper and who came to us based on a referral from a peer who couldn't keep her part-time because her business was sucking wind. Mm, That should have been a clue right there. Public Service Announcement. Anyone can call themselves a bookkeeper. But if you do not test their bookkeeping skills and their accounting acumen, then chances are you have an untrained, not qualified individual calling themselves a bookkeeper. Actions speak louder than words. So please, I implore you, test the individuals you hire. If the majority of bookkeepers are great, then why are 83% of small businesses operating check to check? Let a bookkeeper prove their skills. They should be a teacher to you. They should have the heart of a teacher and should be able to guide you and explain things and help you learn your financials. A player bookkeepers will not be offended by a test because A player bookkeepers know there are a lot of D bookkeepers out there who say they know QuickBooks. And just because they are certified as a QuickBooks Pro Advisor, they earn that certification without ever being tested on their basic accounting knowledge. Hmm. So sure enough, after my new CPA firm chats with our full-time bookkeeper, it is evident she can loosely navigate QuickBooks, but has almost no accounting acumen, kind of like her boss. The fix? My CPA puts one of their junior CPAs on site to take over the responsibilities of the bookkeeper. I start receiving regular reporting every month. Finally, month after month, after the month closes and is reconciled, they send me my income statement and balance sheet. They are in my inbox accumulating unopened because while I can vaguely understand the concept of an income statement or a profit and loss statement, sales minus expenses equals profit, that bottom line number is getting smaller as the numbers above it get bigger. We are growing and I think I just have to work harder. I am literally so married to my business. My dad coins the phrase, all work and no play makes for a dull Danielle. And that other report, the balance sheet, um, don't get me started. How do you balance assets with liabilities and equities? No clue and zero interest. What a clueless idiot I am. I am like an ostrich with my head in the sand when it comes to the company's financials. I think just work harder, longer, faster. And I think that my CPA and their junior accountant own the financials of the company I own. I like to surmise that being an entrepreneur is like riding a roller coaster and money, it makes the tracks. You're up, you're down, there are twists and turns. You may even go upside down, pun intended. But you get back to the station for a slight breather and then you ride it again and again and again until you're ready to throw up and be done because you just can't take it anymore. In my world, things don't get better. They become even more challenging. I get married. And when my husband sees I have not been paying us, he finally calls me on it. We have to pay ourselves and we need to have money stashed to correlate to our profits and money set aside to pay our taxes. He also has a sensitive stomach to fast food and has no interest in eating off the dollar menu. Thankfully, my living off spare change period conveniently coincided while we were dating and he was a Marine Corps reservist deployed overseas on active duty. So after eight years, I'm at the station and it's time to get off this roller coaster. One of our clients wants to bring us on as an in-house agency. It's the luck of one of the coins I found over the years that still sits in my spare change fishbowl. Long, ironic story short, I am charged with helping the company position itself for acquisition. Every week, I sit with the CEO and CFO, and we meet with the, quote, owners of the 10 business units of the organization. These, quote, owners are employees and have zero equity, but they're referred to as the, quote, business unit owners, and they are held accountable by the CEO, CFO, and And again, ironically, me, to own the income statement, balance sheet, and cash flow projection slash forecast for their business units. They can't run, they can't hide, and they have to own it or they're fired. And I have a front row seat to all of this because I am charged with the strategic planning. And through this process, the CEO and CFO mentor their business unit owners and me on the accounting acumen required. The goal was to sell this company with $1 billion, that's with a B in revenues, within four years. Over the course of my tenure as Director of Strategic Planning and Marketing, I facilitated 640 financial reviews over 28 months. We increased aggregate revenue by over $300 million during my tenure and exceeded the sell goal. The company Aim Healthcare was acquired by a division of United Healthcare for 260 million dollars 1 year ahead of our target and I finally experienced firsthand the most important aspect of being a business owner you have to own your financials and to be truly profitable you have to put profit first today my husband and I run several businesses that gross more than 30 million dollars per year I spend about 10 hours per week overseeing the operations of these businesses. And another big chunk of my week is spent personally guiding entrepreneurs on the only two factors that impact profitability in their business, increasing their margins and decreasing their expenses. If Mike Michalowicz, the author of Profit First, had a little sister entrepreneur, you are looking at her. If you haven't had the chance to read Profit First yet, Here's the Cliff Notes version. It starts with the problem, the problem with the generally accepted accounting principle of sales minus expenses equals profit, and the simple fact that profit is the leftover. We feed the beast of expenses and accept crumbs or nothing for profit with this equation. Remember, 83% of small businesses operate check to check. It's the significant majority of businesses and they have zero cash in the bank to correlate to their profitability. Mike McCallowitz kind of cracked the code to the secret to the 17% of small businesses that have cash in the bank to correlate to healthy profits. They have flipped the equation and put profit first. So, in profit first, sales minus profit equals expenses. Because what gets put first gets done. Profit is not a leftover. It's a habit. Profit first is a process you can do in as little as five minutes twice a month. Anyone ever put toothpaste on the bottom of their shopping list and forget to buy it? It's 4 a.m. You're up early for a flight. You're at the very bitter end of the tube. You thought you were going to buy some, but you forgot. Do you just not brush your teeth? Mm, (laughs) No, you get real resourceful. You shimmy up that last bit from the far bottom of the tube and you work it up to the opening. We may even break a sweat when we get to that top and have to use both our thumbs to get it to just poke out of the top like a turtle, but we make it happen. And that, my friends, is really Parkinson's Law, where effort is a function of time allowed. Here's another example of Parkinson's Law. If given one week to turn around a proposal for Martha Stewart with the biggest budget you've ever dreamed of, we will typically take that whole week before sending it to Martha. And thanks for being so generous, Martha. We will use the whole budget you gave us. Great news Martha loved your proposal and you got the job. Even better news, you did such an amazing job for Martha. The day after Martha's event, you get a call from one of the guests at Martha's event, Oprah. Oprah was wowed by your work. Her people found out from Martha's people how much Martha spent, and Oprah calls you and gives you one day, not a week, one day to turn around a proposal for her best friend Gail's party at 50% of the budget Martha gave you. Um, Are you going to say, I'm sorry, Oprah, I can't, I need a week and more money. Um, No, you make it happen because it's Oprah and you are so brilliant. It's just as fabulous, if not a better proposal than the one you spent a week on for Martha. And since you really wanted to wow budget conscious Oprah, you spent 10% less than the budget she gave you. Plus, you got smarter on your time and were able to increase your margin in Oprah's proposal. Do you see where I'm going with this? Oprah is like that last bit of toothpaste in the tube when you thought you were totally out of toothpaste. Just kidding. Mm, Kind of. Oprah is really just doing a Jedi mind trick and challenging you with Parkinson's law, the law that the 17% of entrepreneurs with cash in the bank to correlate to their profitability, leverage to always put profit first. And they're minimizing expenses by being number one, frugal, number two, innovative, and number three, efficient. I can't guarantee Oprah will call you after you implement profit first, but I can teach you how to own your financials of the business you own in as little as 11 minutes per day by leveraging profit first, so that you have cash in the bank to correlate your profitability, money to pay yourself a well-deserved salary, and dinero set aside to pay your taxes. Would I be a profitable entrepreneur today over 20 years since I started my first company if I continued to do what I did back in the day, living off coins I had hoarded, doing what 83% of entrepreneurs do, operate check to check? Um, That emphatic answer is absolutely not. Just because that is how the majority of entrepreneurs operate, and let's be honest, the majority of entrepreneurs also fail, you are here on the Profit First Nation podcast because you are not going to fail. You are here because you recognize the opportunity Profit First can give you to make your business permanently profitable. We're going to walk with you, guide you, go as fast and as hard as you want, or do it in 11 minute increments a day. I can get very passionate on the topic of Profit First. So at this point of the podcast, I'm going to step off my Profit First soapbox and pass the microphone to Mike Michalowicz, the author of Profit First, to chat about the failure phenomenon.
0: So I discovered a pretty bizarre, when you look at it, bizarre phenomena that happens with some entrepreneurs. I've actually felt this emotion too, but when looking at it introspectively, it's a bizarre behavior. So what it is, is the failure phenomena. The failure phenomena, and that's just a name I give it. I'm not sure if that's a quantified, you know, name that uh, therapist use or something but the failure phenomena is that when we are doing something for a long extended period and it results in failure on a continual basis we become entrenched in it even if there's a better alternative and even if we know that better alternative exists at a subconscious level we'd rather be consistent with what's not working than to have to change to something that may work so we stay consistent in failure uh, and the other factor is if we do make the change and it succeeds, then we have to acknowledge that what we've been doing has been not working and that may be too much to face. So we stay stuck doing what we're doing. There's a lot of entrepreneurs and, uh, I was one of them <laughs> that was never profitable running my business. It was always struggling check by check. And what I consider a profit first for myself is a period of frustration and, and, uh, kind of anger toward myself. And it was enough to break me out of, ah, I'm just gonna keep doing it the way I'm doing it, just harder. With Profit First, to make the transition to it, you may be stuck in that failure phenomenon that you actually feel this compulsion to keep doing things the way you're doing them, even though they're not driving results, but are subconsciously justifying it, saying, well, you know, I, this is the only way that works, and then poo-pooing something that's new and different. I encourage you to get really angry about your current situation first. Have a disdain for it. Be frustrated with it. Allow yourself to say, actually encourage yourself to say, I won't do this ever again. I will not be here again. Use that as the impetus, the catalyst to try something new, and you'll be able to break out of the failure phenomena and move on to something new, and that will serve you. Profit first being one thing, but this is true for all aspects of our life.
1: Thanks, Mike. One of the biggest reasons for starting this podcast was based on my travels with Mike. He gives his keynote speech on Profit First, and then I often follow him on stage with how to implement a Profit First workshop. I cannot even count how many times people come up to Mike before or after his keynote to say, Love your book, read it twice, and listen to it on audio. And then Mike says, Awesome, have you implemented it yet? And then, with a bit of embarrassment, they say, no, with flimsy excuses, I'm too busy, it's not the right time. Really? Your business is a cash-eating monster. I can even smell a Wendy's Bacon Junior cheeseburger you scraped a few coins together to buy for lunch on your breath. Or is it you honestly think that one magical day, the cash-eating monster is not going to show up for work? And that is the day you finally implement profit first. If you struggle with profitability, if you do not have cash in the bank to correlate to your profits, if you lack the dollars on hand to pay your taxes, then you have failed at being profitable. Let's turn this ship onto a path to permanent profitability. Let's commit to profit first. I am here. Mike is here. Our Profit First Professionals family are here, and now you have a real tribe of the top 17% of entrepreneurs who have cash in the bank to correlate to their profitability to guide you and cheer you on. My friend, you've got this. And if you need a daily reminder of inspiration that you will not be dragged down by the failure phenomenon, then send Mike and I an email, and we'll send you one of our favorite pictures of Albert Einstein who famously coined the best definition of insanity, that doing the same thing over and over while expecting different results is the true definition of insanity. So let's put a stop to the insanity. Send an email to albert at profitfirstnation.com with the subject line, not going to fail, and we will promptly reply. Again, send an email to Albert at profitfirstnation.com with the subject line, not going to fail. Feel free to share your thoughts with us in the email. We are in this together and are here to serve you. Profit First Nation is the official podcast of Profit First. Join us on future episodes as we guide you through advanced Profit First strategies by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes or your other favorite podcast platform. And check us out online at profitfirstnation.com.